would encourage them to find a way to articulate what they're saying in a way that actually is just more productive than a confrontation. Although I understand why confrontations come. Uh, if you're feeling like your needs aren't being met and that you're being blocked from something that you want and all of those things. So I think that there are other ways to go about that. Um, and I would encourage that. And I would encourage the friends and family of, of, of folks that are struggling in that way to think of proactive and productive ways um, to engage, um, identifying what really is it that you need? How are you really feeling harmed? What do you really want to do to actually get this thing resolved? which is different than um, I think that to get to a solution, it would require a different path. For those willing to listen, learn, and have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical, where we're challenging the mindset of right-wing Christianity and encouraging people to have their minds renewed and hearts transformed. Let's have better conversations about the life modeled in the Bible so we can truly tell the world God is not mad at you. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. All right, welcome everyone. I am uh, Paul Swearingen, the Nonpartisan Evangelical, where we, we just want to challenge mindsets and try to build uh, better community and discussions and what a better day uh, my wife joins me as my special guest. This is Ashley Swearingen, the former mayor of Fresno and now the director of a foundation here in town. And uh, we've been having conversation of how do we have better conversations because over the last several days, we've seen confrontation breaking out around shelter in place and disagreement over you know, when do we open it up and when do we stay in sheltered in place to save lives? And it kind of boiled over a little bit in our city. And so we thought, how do we have better discussion? And since, Ashley, I think we're not even exactly sure how to have the discussion, we're, we're asking for some help from people today. So this is what happens when a retired elected official lives in the same household as a former senior pastor slash sportscaster slash podcaster, yep. and they're both at home straight for like nine weeks. <laughs> like this is what we do is we resort to, we have to record a podcast yes, because we are talking about this stuff all the time as is everyone in our community, our state, our nation and our world. And um, things, as you said, things boiled over in our community yesterday. They did over the weekend. They did again last night. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, where do you guys even live? Um, just for a little bit of local grounding. So we, we live in Fresno, California, which is in the middle of the state in the Central Valley of California. And, uh, we had some, we were all seeing live images of, uh, protesters who were opposing local government actions surrounding COVID. Um, protesters showing up on elected officials' doorsteps, um, pounding on doors, elected officials coming out of those doors, confrontation ensued. Shoving. And yeah, there was some physical contact made, and um, it it just really has caused, I think, everything to feel like there is a fever pitch happening. And, um, and so we literally, you couldn't sleep last night, Paul. Yeah. I slept like a baby, but that's because <laughs> that's because I run a nonprofit and I work, you know, 18 hours a day and I'm always exhausted. But I woke up just I, I woke up in the night at three o'clock in the morning, realized you still weren't in bed yet. I woke up this morning and we both were just like, oh, my God, what do we do? And, and in particular, personally, what do you and I do right. as 
people who love and care for our community as so many other people do in Fresno, what role do we play? If we don't get directly involved in raising our voices, are we not contributing? How how do we facilitate a conversation? So, yeah. um, so after deciding we should podcast and help at least put words on things and create a place for people to maybe take a step back and think about what's going on. The second thing we do is we say, let's call people who actually know what they're talking about. Yes, we do. <laughs> Besides you and me musing. we know a lot of people that and are we smart. Do. So, uh, so we literally by, you know, eight o'clock this morning, we called Dr. Bryce Yoakum, we got him on and emailed uh, our next guest, who is Sherry Wiedenhofer. She's the director of the Center for Peacemaking at Fresno Pacific University. And we said, hey, can you drop everything and spend some time with us, if for no other reason, so that Paul sleeps tonight. <laughs> um, but actually, I feel for, better already. <laughs> for, for, for the higher purpose of maybe just maybe stepping into some conversations that we want to continue to have with residents of our community over the next couple days and weeks. So uh, so Sherry joins us. Sherry, thank you for being with us. Thank you for the invitation. So, um, so before we jump into the reason why we wanted to have you on, your expertise, et cetera, tell us a little bit about you, your expertise, and what you do at the center. Thank you for that. I um, come from Reedley, California. And if you're from Reedley, you know that we say Reedley, California. <laughs> and I grew up there, um, grew up there really in a in a neighborhood uh, and very engaged in, in my church community. And when I, I went to college at Fresno State, ended up graduating from Fresno Pacific University. But I was, um, I think I was in a part of my community where I didn't really understand the whole of our community. And as I um, engaged in actually Campus Life Youth for Christ, um, I got involved in Campus Life in our community. And we had about 150 kids come into Campus Life, which are every different walk of life. Our staff team was very, I mean, as diverse as could be. We did a pretty great community. We learned a lot through that experience. And I got engaged in a part of my community I was not aware of before. So I got involved in the undocumented community and, and some of the issues and, and conversations that were going on there and just began to be mentored and, and taught a lot by these young people. We uh, built some restorative justice initiatives together. Then that led me to the Center for Peacemaking. That's a bit of my journey. I've been learning a lot along the way. Fantastic. All right. So uh, so you could say a lot more about that because I've had the, the pleasure of getting to know you, Sherry, over the last, um, gosh, almost a year now. And I know that you you bring literally a global perspective on conflict and peacemaking and resolution and all of that. So um, so we're really really grateful that you uh, are here in our community locally and that you would spend a few uh, a few minutes with us. I wonder if um, before we can get your take on how we should be thinking about our current day circumstances, I wonder if you could just like help us understand. Um, like you mentioned before we went on uh, on the air here, it's like what we, sh- we should be thinking about when it comes to conflict, a conflict process, like maybe give us a little bit of that framework before we dive into like some specific circumstances we want to get your insight on. But restorative justice is an approach to achieving justice. It involves to the extent possible, those who have a stake in that offense, that specific offense or the harm and it's a collective process to address those harms and needs and obligations in order to make things as right as possible. So that kind of moves beyond a um, victim, the victim and offender realize that both parties are engaged 
together in what has happened. And in order to restore it, they need to be engaged together in that process. And often our response to harm is to um, separate the parties and then other folks deciding or other, other institutions actually deciding what happens as the outcome to that. So when you see restorative justice, it really talks about needs, obligations, how do we work together to make those things as right as possible? What our goal is, is to be moving from brokenness to wholeness, from trauma to healing, and from harm to restoration. Because we all have a longing, honestly, to be rightly related and to be at peace with ourselves and with our neighbors. And so that's, a, that's the, the larger framework of how is that and is that possible? And I think the thing that's most, I think, inspiring to me is it is possible in the greatest harm. It is possible to find restoration, to find healing, to find wholeness, actually. And there's something about that um, that brings freedom. So, um, and, and, it, and it allows us to kind of live a more full life, both uh, individually and then collectively and with the parties involved. And so as we think about conflict, I think it's important to understand that conflict is, is natural, it's normal, and it's necessary. And we talk about that quite a bit when we're doing uh, our education processes, our workshops and our Peacemaking Institute. Conflict is natural, normal, and necessary. And it happens at any point of change. It can also be something where I feel blocked and something I'm trying to get done is not, I mean, something is not allowing me to get something done that I feel like I really need to have done. Something is blocking me. So that's typically what then creates a conflict. And conflict, uh, the Chinese character for conflict, as they have said, is both danger and opportunity. Which direction you want to take it? We, in our current team, we're taking that, and, and as people do around the world, we're taking that as an invitation. Conflict can really be seen as an invitation that we can pay attention to something that is wrong. So you say none of us like conflict, but conflict is necessary and an opportunity when we feel like something needs to change. Why does sometimes conflict get ugly, I guess, as we've seen in recent days. So typically when we are faced with a conflict, this is an unmanaged conflict cycle, and I will credit Ron Clausen with this, one of the founders of the Center for Peacemaking for this, that we try, we immediately feel like something is wrong. There's a, I, I'm uncomfortable. Something has changed. And I'm trying to figure out whose fault is that? What is the role identification for that? What's my responsibility in that? And what is the other person's responsibility or the other party's responsibility or if I can't find the party, why is this happening? Whose fault is it? Why is it happening? That's that next step. And typically, if at least in my case, I will say it's usually the other person's fault because I know my intent is pretty good and I see their behavior and I see that that is really actually the cause for my blockage or for the change, for why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case and I have determined that the other party is at fault, then I just begin to make a list of injustices I mean, this is true across the board. I start thinking, well, it wasn't just this time. Actually, it happened a, a couple, another situation like this just happened just recently. In fact, I mean, this tends to be the way this person always is. It's always like this. And I begin to build a list of injustices and those injustices feel very, very real. So I start compiling those injustices, not only from before, but from also moving ahead. And I forget, actually, I can forget what the original conflict was. So then as that process goes on, um, the next stage of that is, is, is confrontation and unexpected often for me, it has been at times um, writing an email that probably should have been thought through before I actually hit send. Mm -hmm. 
those things you can't get back, those things that you say that you can't get back. I mean, the, you know, just, it's just an unexpected, it's a, it's sometimes an uncontrolled, but it is a confrontation. It's an, it's something that happens. And usually the words, uh, you always, or you never, or those kinds of things come into play. And then that results, usually when that confrontation happens, that results in distance. And we just separate. That's the unmanaged conflict cycle. And as part of that, we long to be seen and heard and cared for and valued. And if I don't feel seen, if I don't feel heard, if I, I mean, there that can rise up in me, um, you know, when an argument, talking louder, just saying it louder, say it one more time, stronger, <laughs> you know, that's what we do. And we're seeing that in action. We're, because we're trying to honestly be seen. There's a reason why we want to be seen and heard and cared for and valued in those things. And so then if we just begin to scream and yell and we can't get it resolved, that distance is going to get further and further apart. And then the violence rises. It's very similar to a, you know, to a domestic violence uh, cycle where something happens, it triggers something. We know something's off. We know that violence is going to happen. And then we know it's going to be calmed down for, for a bit. And then we also know that cycle is going to increase in volatility and eventually in violence. And so we need to resolve those things. So giving people a voice is a, is a really important thing. And sometimes maybe I just want to say what I want to say. But if we're not giving voice to the other side, they're going to find a way to get their voice heard. And, and uh, you know, maybe like some of what we saw over the weekend or the last few days, it sometimes comes out in a really unhealthy way if we don't give that space for their voice to come out. Yeah, I think most of us, when we feel like we're in a corner... And we feel like we don't have a way out and we start fighting to get out. Right. I think those are normal responses. And I, and I think those, that, that, um, even in just kind of thinking in terms of right and wrong, you know, we do tend to live in a dualistic world where we are right. There's a right and there's a wrong. My way is usually right. And your way is usually wrong. That tends to be the way that works out. So whatever side of right is, you know, right and wrong. But if we can, separate ourselves even from trying to make those distinctions and, and kind of return to the most human of, of um, awarenesses and pay attention and just say in a different way, what is your experience? What is That's no fun. Well, right? yeah, I know. I was just going to, I was just going to ask like basically the equivalent of that question. That's no fun. Um, so That's a marriage right there. That's a marriage. I, I want to say I'm right. And I want to make you say I'm right. That's what that's what that's life's right. all that's, about. That is the that is the entire purpose of life is to make you admit how right I am. And it works all the time when I try that. Um. So okay, so I'm just imagining the folks who are involved. And obviously, none of this is assigned to any particular person. But I'm just like kind of thinking about um, this conflict we've seen play out over the last couple of weeks with, you know, small businesses reacting to further shelter in place orders, um, activists who aren't really maybe attached to those small businesses, but still they feel they're like feeling the pain and the kind of taking up that cause. I'm thinking about um, maybe what I would consider to be the other side of that local government officials who would say, oh, we're trying to preserve public health. And I'm also thinking of um, the interesting rise of this, like this, this voice from communities of color saying, whoa, 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 we're being disproportionately impacted. It seems like protesters on, you know, one side are predominantly white, and they're being treated slightly differently. 
uh, by law enforcement and the public at large than if people of color were protesting and doing similar things that we saw play out, you know, at the waffle shop over the weekend or at the council members or mayor's house. Like, so so this is, in you know, evoking um, racial d- differential treatment. Like, well, okay, so there's, maybe it's not helpful for me to go into all the different sides of this, but right. I'm thinking about people who are in, in any one of those places of this conflict. And I'm thinking about everything you just said, which was really so helpful and like elegant and graceful. Sherry, just hearing you talk makes me feel much better. Um, but how, like for people who are just stuck in that, they're they're in that there's real harm happening here, um, whether it's my small business or it is my concern for my, you know, my kid's health who's immunocompromised and, you know, your actions are putting my family in, in jeopardy, whatever. They're, they're very aware of that harm, okay, and it's real, and they're really sure about who's causing this harm, and there's really, there's no pressure to kind of get above this conflict and think about resolution. There's really no value for that. There's really, you know, like how, how as a community, like, do we just wait till it all, like we saw yesterday, just like bubbles over, and thank goodness there were, there, nobody was seriously injured yesterday, or like, how do we kind of like grab onto this before it gets out of hand and there there are very real physical lasting consequences of this conflict. Excellent question. <laughs> it's really true. I think that's the essence of that. I think that the fear is that we we begin to um, honestly try to take justice into our hands and kind of rise up and and uh, give ourselves reasons to even possibly cause harm, right? So I think there is a concern for that. And I think in in uh, in ways that we can do that, the, all of us that are impacted or anybody that's impacted with something that you you feel like, uh, well, we, just, we could just talk about the, the situation yesterday. I mean, small business owners and folks that are feeling like we need to reopen up this economy, we're, you know, we need this income, of course, we're across the board. Everybody has... A, a pretty strong sense of that experience. And there is literal suffering and there's increasingly suffering coming down through COVID. That's, that's, a, that's the reality of our times. And I think that part of the um, increased um, disenfranchisement we can feel is because we are isolated. We're in our homes. We cannot be together. We're listening to constant rhetoric. It's very unhelpful. I mean, the, the, the continual just deluge of rhetoric of right and wrong. And I mean, I, I mean, I'm getting phone calls from people that are just literally just struggling with how to process all this information that's coming all the time that feels like the world's coming to an end. I mean, there's just so much. And when we're isolated and just taking that in, it, it's not a healthy space. We're away from our community spaces that give us that. All to say, when we feel like we've really got to be heard and we're really trying to get action, I think we have to look at yesterday, honestly, as somewhat of a normal experience in terms of conflict. If we're feeling blocked, if we're feeling like we're not getting what we need, and if we, we feel like no one's hearing us, it's going to lead to a confrontation. If if this conflict cycle is true, as, as we experience it as humans, then we have to find a way to engage the parties that are interested and engaged in both the harm and the perceived hurt and all of those things. We have to get around a table together. It sounds a bit ridiculous in some ways. It sounds a little bit like um, that's, that doesn't 
meet my needs or that doesn't fill me. And maybe I don't even want to resolve things right now because I'm just feeling so much emotion, so much passion and so much energy. Um, I think there's something to being party in our community. We love our community. We all love our community. We're all here. Fres, yes. Let's, we want to be here and do this. But if we feel disenfranchised at the point that we are cutting off parts of our community or becoming polarized from each other, we are vicariously causing harm to ourselves and to the other. But how do we how do we work through that? How do we engage in processes where we can cross lines we haven't crossed before in a different way? Is there a way to do that? And, and I think we're close. Go ahead. Um, so, well, I, I think you were just getting to your main point, so I apologize. But I, I want to um, just underscore, like, especially if it – that is especially difficult if it means coming to the table validates this other person's point of view that is actually the whole source of the harm. So right. how do you manage that? Well, I'm actually just, I was just thinking about the difference between like even inciting and then inviting, like inciting folks to rally or inviting people into resolving something that's really feeling that injustice that you're really feeling. I think there are, are, those are two different approaches and, um, you know, how, how we, Again, I think actually part of that is we're so entrenched in this right and wrong uh, and and a, and certain folks really getting their way that already have control of resources or things that may have more access to power or to, to structures or to, you know, funding and to money and to other things. Um, there, there, there are disparities across the board. We, we can't deny that. That's the reality of that. And our responsibility as community members is to continue to, to bring all of those folks across the board to the table, to the community table, and find ways for these needs to get met. If if small business owners need some help, well, I think our city is, is making some effort to create business loans, to create you know, pathways through that. And that's because they are listening. But if we need to increase the the level of voice in some areas of our community, we need to find ways to become allies that are creating these invitations to sit people down at these diverse tables to get things resolved. It's outside of that. I mean, this is an opportunity. We, we talk about that quite a bit. And Ashley, you talk about this a lot in Drive Campaign. It's an opportunity to reset the table. Conflict transformation gives us an opportunity on, on a societal level on every level across across the scope to change the way things have been done before. It's begging for that. Conflict is begging for some kind of change. You don't get into a conflict to say, everything's just going to go back to normal. That's not the purpose of conflict. The purpose for conflict is what was normal is no longer there anymore. Something has to change and it's begging for change. It's requiring us to pay attention. It's, it's begging for attention. So in that way, if we reframe what are the needs? Where are the harms? And how can we meet these obligations together? It's a different way of approaching our community, and our community deserves it across the board. It, is, you right? mentioned, sorry to interrupt you there, Sherry, you talked about going from brokenness to wholeness. At, at some point, do we have to come to some admission that things are broken? And uh, because if the system's working for me, and and then you're trying to say, well, I want the system to work for me too. 
And it just becomes a power struggle and whoever is in power wins and makes all the sense in the world for me to paint you as the most evil thing ever to try to take my power away. And we just fight that. Uh, how do we come to some agreement that, hey, this system isn't working and, and it, it behooves the one maybe in power to sort of give up some of that power to try to get to some wholeness together? I mean, I, I do believe that's the opportunity we have right now, right? That's the opportunity we have as a community. It's an opportunity we have for Fresno right now. We do. We have historic disparities. We have historical trauma that is is real across the board. And we don't get to that unless we address that and we talk about that. And this, this, this these harms may be connected to harms from 100 years ago. Well, that, we got to open the door to that and continue to to engage that conversation on how the goal is not to figure out who's right and who gets most of the pie, but it really is about how to right the wrongs or heal the harms and how to move forward together in, in a proactive way. I think Drive Campaign is a great example of that and putting some of those things into place. It's, it's forcing that Drive Campaign right into this moment in terms of how we're Creating, um, recreating the table. But that requires allies. That requires people that are willing to, to see the whole and, and really, um, you know, create the allies that are necessary to engage these conversations. What's really true, I will say, of every restorative process I've gone into, and it doesn't matter the disparities, there's always someone that could have more control when we do these things across the board. But when you actually sit down with people to really hear what they need, to really hear where their harm has been experienced, to really hear those things and what is needed to bring this to a resolution, to a restoration, to some sense of healing, to some sense of wholeness, to some sense of rightness, that um, that requires listening. And it requires not just making a policy or not just, um, you know, handcuffing folks either, right? It's it's somehow creating a different way of dialoguing. I don't know if that, is that making, is that I, resonating? It does. I, I want to... Um zoom in on something uh, that that you said, I love the the idea of inciting versus inviting. Um, You know, having been in a local political arena for a while, and, you know, being involved in in various like civic matters of the last couple decades, you know, there's, there's, there's a very strongly held belief among activists, among political leaders, regardless of the issue, regardless of the political continuum where people may lie on that continuum, that inciting, in fact, is productive. It accomplishes an agenda item, like it's, it's valued and affirmed. And as much as like sort of society might push back on, you know, when you start to see these strong arm tactics, maybe get a little out of hand, or the rhetoric getting a little, you know, heated a little over the top, it, it there's just so much evidence that it's like the sand in the pants, you know, it actually does, as you said, it, you know, it, it creates the conflict or it creates, it creates the confrontation that then results in change. And so people do kind of get what they want. Um, did you say, oh, sorry. Did, did you say sand in the pants? I said sand in the pants. Okay. All right. How about sand in the oyster, maybe? <laughs> okay. A different kind of crack. <laughs> <laughs> the oysters crack, <laughs> whatever. It's the agitating right, thing that causes right. you to make the change. So like, I mean, that's just like American culture. We believe that. Yeah. Is that, is that, is that a, a fair reflect? Is that really the way inciting works? It ultimately does help us get where we need to go. 
I think it will. I well, yeah, it is kind of a way of um, think about that for a minute. Inciting versus inviting. I mean, inciting in terms of its 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 truest sense of sort of rallying the troops, right? And inciting um, a certain way and and a way of thinking. I would, to me, I look at it as inciting as inciting is in if it remains in one party's lane to incite, and that stays just in inciting, and it's energizing the emotion that's already there, stirring it up, flaring it up, and it remains just in the inciting space. The inciting works if it then ends up in an engagement in, in, a real, in a real way that what is being addressed begins to become resolved. So people will experience inciting as working if they're ending up getting their needs met. Would that be right? I mean, that's that's sort of where that I think experience comes. And at some point, I think the the invitation in terms of how do you engage that in a way that is representative of a whole community is really important. I mean, we just we can. I mean, it's just in 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 the light and in the framework of our whole community. And I think that is where um, making sure that folks get their voices heard, that they are seen and heard and valued and cared for in whatever part of our community is there. Those are all really important considerations. They, and, and a lot of communities that are not those that go out with loud voices and, and all of that, I mean, there has to be a place for those things to be resolved and, and come, to a, come to a sense of um, this, this whole idea of, of wholeness and restoration and and completeness and, you know, that restoration from things that have been harmed. I mean, if any kind of social change, which I think we're all seeking in some ways here in Fresno, a, a lot of people are seeking in Fresno, that social change comes from disruption and disruption makes people very uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable place to be. And I mean, our hope and our prayer is that we are processing the need for social change that is going to continue to be sharpened in this time when we are feeling a scarcity and when we are feeling afraid and when we are feeling isolated, those things will ramp up. And as those things ramp up, I think we then as a community have the opportunity to figure out how do we come together in isolation? How do we calm ourselves and really identify where our fears are coming from? How do we express that in a way that is actually helpful and that will actually help us get to where we need to be? And that's across our whole community. So we have a snapshot from yesterday. We have a snapshot from um, ways to confront, like an unmanaged conflict cycle is, is a pretty good way to look at that. It's a way. It's ways to confront and to get out there. Can we imagine that differently? So we do this conflict mapping thing. Can we imagine that differently when both parties? Can we imagine that happening differently? Can we imagine a group of people calling and making an appointment? Can we imagine and people being met with to hear their concerns and then the council members or whoever also meeting those concerns. Can we imagine a joint conversation between those folks to really begin to address what those needs are? Can we imagine that? Can we imagine that across our community in all of these ways? Will that lead then to a transformed social order or something where we feel more equitable, more heard, more valued, more cared for, more whole as a community? Thank you.
Hi, everybody. This is Paul. Thanks for letting me interrupt this great conversation. And having conversations like these are what the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast are all about. And I want you to go check out my website for resources like these at npepodcast.com. That's NPE, Nonpartisan Evangelical, npepodcast.com. And there's tons of blogs and podcasts and things you can check out there. And a few ways you can get more intimately involved with what we do. We have an insiders list. If you go to the NPE podcast.com website, sign up for the insiders list, then you'll get all the updates on what's happening with the nonpartisan evangelical events we have coming up, new resources coming out. And just for signing up, I'll give you a free ebook called The Making of Joseph the Novel, which is how I wrote my novel that I'll tell you about coming up. And I'll also give you the first three chapters of the novel. And that novel is the second way you can get involved. It's a book I've written called Joseph Comes to Town. And the subtitle is When the Religious Right Goes Religiously Wrong. And it's a it's a non or it's a fiction book about how the transformation of one man along ideological and religious lines can have an impact on an entire city. And if you click on the Joseph the Novel tab on the NPPodcast.com website, you'll see people telling you how they've enjoyed the book. It has reviews and other information and how you can buy either the paperback version or a Kindle version of the book for yourself. Check out Joseph Comes to Town there. And one other resource we have is our nonpartisan evangelical Patreon community. And if you, you like books in audiobook version, you can get my novel there in an audiobook series, which is being released sections at a time. And it's a lot of fun. I do commentaries for each of the sections as well. So if you like audiobooks and you want to hear my book, Joseph Comes to Town, Sign up on our Patreon page. So go to nppodcast.com, hit that Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner, and you can join in there and get the audiobook series and have a whole lot of fun with us. Ashley and I do a lot of things over there on the Patreon page. So let's review. NPEPodcast.com is the website. The Insiders List is how you sign up to hear what's going on and also get my free ebook and three free chapters to my novel. You can find out about my novel on the website by clicking the Joseph the Novel tab and hear reviews and see other things about that novel. And if you want to join our Patreon community, help with uh, support uh, financially of the nonpartisan evangelical, then click that Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner. The website is npepodcast.com for the nonpartisan evangelical. I want to partner with you to have a better level of conversation and start to heal our culture and our community rather than divide it. npepodcast.com is the website. I'm Paul, and I'll be so grateful if you go there and join us for a little bit more from the nonpartisan evangelical. Now, back to the conversation. Thanks for hanging out with us on the Nonpartisan Evangelical at NPEPodcast.com. I think that's really that's really interesting perspective because, um, you know, when you are the focal point of the inciting, it never feels like, oh, but this is going to result in some positive social change. And so, yes, you should bang on my door. Like, I have to tell you, like, it, it, it's When you're so, calling me a tyrant, uh, yeah, I, I don't really want to come to the table with you. It, it, it's my knee-jerk reaction is to, like, slam down hard on that sort of behavior. And, um, and I, you know, I guess I think that's probably just, like, human nature, um, I don't, I don't have like a soft place in my heart for incite, inciters, you know, inciters when I'm the, the focus, 
um, or when I see that some physical harm could come to people, oh my gosh, it makes me extremely angry um, really quickly. And I lose any ability to hear rationally what might, what is behind the, you know, the, the sign or the like physical, uh, you know, front or whatever. It's really hard for me to hear anything. You, you could be championing the cause of, you know, mom and apple pie. And if you come at me in a certain way, um, I'm just going to want to pounce back. So I don't know. I yeah. guess I'm struggling a little bit with, with, with positioning, but you know, and I guess it goes back to, well, but issues I care about and I'm on the same side of like, yay, go insight and create disruption that brings about the change. So I just, I just wonder if that's like, we have to have a community conversation around that, I guess. Like what is acceptable? What is baseline acceptable behavior for our, like our space together in this community? Right. Well, I think, in, yeah, and I think that's where allies come in with the inciting part that gets really dangerous is what accelerates violence or accelerates harm. And that's, you know, can we, I think that's, you know, I, I'm sure that all of us have these um, even reactions to saying, how can we sit down together when we're so polarized and try to work something out? And I think our role as community members in the invitation to have a, 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 a conversation to really address these things requires allies on the same and different sides pulling people back from going out to doing something that could cause harm. And we ha- that's, the, that's the community allies. I mean, none of us can, I don't think any of us can say we can just be bystanders. We're all impacted. And we actually all have an obligation to for the healing of our community and, and to make sure that harm is not caused. And so if we know, and, and it, it does require us, I think our third party selves, our, our bystander stepping into saying, hey, allies and friends, we got, we got to do this differently. Let's not go out and do things that can cause harm to people. I mean, the violence upon violence upon violence. But when we feel back in a corner, that's going to happen. So unless that gets resolved somehow, it, it will follow that path. If we don't get it at the point where the change is causing, the, the change is impacting the way I feel blocked and I am figuring out whose fault it is and I'm not being heard and I'm not getting that, and that list of injustices is growing, it will continue to lead to confrontation. So we, I mean, that just is the process of unmanaged conflict and needing to be heard and do whatever we need to do. And in that midst of that anger, sometimes it's really hard to turn it around. We'll have people in our lives, I hope, that have that have the opportunity either to pull us back or to engage in where that conflict is and have that conversation to get things kind of calmed down and addressed and managed and handled. We're going to have to get good at managing conflict right now in this in this time. We're going to have to get better at that. We're going to have to get good at engaging conflict because if we don't, that's when those conf- conflicting forces can really create these cycles that, that can really cause harm. And that takes a long time to repair. And I think that can be a goal. Um, if if we think of, you know, you think the Hatfields and McCoys, the only way that ends is we we all kill each other and we're all dead. And what have we gained? Or and, and so instead of inciting and fighting for little crumbs that we fight back and forth over, can we have a better goal of, of expanding the pie for everyone 
and uh, by by laying down some of our weapons. And I, I underline the name in your organization here, the Center for for Peacemaking. And I think that term peacemaking is a little bit underrated as a term. I even was talking to Ashley, like maybe we should call this "Blessed Are the Peacemakers," and and uh, that peacemaking is not. A, a laying down and being run over term when when Jesus used that term in the Bible for for people of faith, that was a a courageous stepping out to change things for the better for everybody and for culture to be changed. And I think that's what we need to challenge ourselves to maybe share. Maybe that's what you're saying a little bit is how do we challenge ourselves to be peacemakers so there's a there's something better for all of us and we all can have more rather than just fighting over the the little morsels we've been fighting over. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate, um, there's a story and I was trying to find the name of the Senator, but after the civil war, Abraham Lincoln, you know, they had released the slaves and there was all these things happening and 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 a congressman came up and said, let's just go kill everybody right now. You know, let's go re-enslave. Let's just, let's just, let's just go after it. The war is over. Let's go get what we deserve. And it was, and you know, Abraham Lincoln just said, haven't I killed my enemy when I've made him my friend? And I think there's something to the way we look at um, each other in community. How do we do that? And I do want to just read this. John Paul Lederach is, is really profound in his field he is a person that um, has really mentored me, but he, uh, in the in the Civil War in the 80s, across all of the boundaries and the borders in Central America, uh, he was one of the ones that helped design doing one border at a time to create peace because there was no peace going on there. Complicated situation, but it ended up being peace treaty one border at a time, one border at a time in Central America, all this conflict. He has a quote, I'm just going to read it, that says, conflict transformation is to envision and respond to the ebb and the flow of social conflict as life-giving opportunities for creating constructive change processes that reduce violence, increase justice, and direct interaction and social structures and respond to real life problems in human relationships. It is part of something much bigger. And if we look at these conflicts, it's just that 10 minutes or that 20 minute confrontation, we're really missing the opportunity to see it in a larger context of how are we responding to our hurts, our pains, our fears, our anxieties, all of those things that, that as a community, we, we really have the responsibility to look at as an opportunity to, to help folks manage this really difficult time, this time of crisis, economic crisis, coronavirus crisis. It's, it's, it is a scary time for most people. So, um, I know we're running short of time and you've been really gracious to, to be a part of our day today and, you know, putting some things out there that are certainly helpful to to me. And, um, and I hope folks who listen to this will, um, will be comforted and sort of redirected. So you've been very gracious, but I have a cup, just a couple more questions. And one of them uh, came as a result of something Paul posted last night or early this morning when when uh, he couldn't sleep, commented on social media, um, man, up late, really worried for our community or praying for our community. And um, somebody reacted to that and said, like, praying isn't enough. And so and, and it kind of makes me actually think about your bystander comment, because I, I would say prior to this conversation, I consider myself a little bit of a bystander right now. Um, my family is safe. 
Um, my job is transportable. I can work at home. Um, you know, I have I have a total privilege and have access to resources and can manage this world okay. I don't love it, but I can manage it okay. And I'm just and I'm just watching the news and I'm watching this conflict go down last night and. Um, so I feel like a little bit of a bystander. And then I think that's part of why I woke up this morning and Paul was up all night. And we're like, oh, my God, we have we have a role to play here. And not because, you know, I've served an elected office or Paul has pastored a church, but just like as members of this community, um, you know, like what? So what? So so what what do you say to people who perceive themselves to be bystanders, I guess, A, and B, for people of faith who you know, our instant reaction is to pray and to ask God to come and to to cover conflict, to create a place of peace, to create an opportunity for resolution and to like help us get through this. Um, when is that not enough? And what should we, we be doing differently? And, and we ask that seeing your praying hands right over your shoulder there back on the back wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, my, my, my response and all of this, of course, is from my perspective, and I understand it's limited. Um, but my response to that is um, praying can often feel like uh, an opiate, right? It's just another, another numbing, um, numbing of ourselves to what's really happening. I'll just say that on an honest gut level reaction. When I see what Christ did as a living representation of God's love on the planet, he engaged every conflict around him. There wasn't a social conflict he didn't step right into the middle of. And he stepped right into the middle of pretty much every type of um, social injustice. Um, he, I mean, the stories of Samaritans, the stories of women caught in adultery, all these things. There's so many dynamics around that. But where did he, where did Christ enter the world? It was in conflict. It was in social disruption, social order disruption, this little radical view but in my reading of scriptures and why I follow Christ, I understand. My husband reminds me, you know where this gets you with Christ, right? There is a part of sort of self-dying to say, I am really engaged in the interest and the lives of others. And I'm willing to engage into those very difficult spaces. So I do think for people of faith, often, I do think praying can be a bit of a cop-out from us just really stepping into the midst of a conflict to say, I'm standing here. And I may, I'm standing here to build this bridge. How do we do that? I don't know how to do that. How do we do that? But so most of us have relationships on all sides of these um, conflicts that are going on. And how do we provide support in a helpful way? How do we get away from the inciting of the, what could be uh, increased conflict and increased violence? How do we engage in listening to people's stories, to really hearing the heart, to really listening to understand, to help find paths through and create some of those avenues? So... Um, yeah, I think yeah. praying is great, and I do believe God is at work all the while, all the while, right? To heal us and to restore us and to, to live our lives. He cares about every single one of us in, in, in our community and around the world. But yeah, I think stepping into the fray is part of the, what we signed up to. And, and I have to admit, I was I was low grade offended when when this person and it's somebody that I know put that on my page. And, uh, but I did, I, I stopped and I'm like, okay, wait a second. What am I supposed to hear in that? And, uh, and then actually typed a thanks for the pushback and, and know that sometimes praying actually does move me and give me the courage to go. And so it is kind of that well from which I draw, but yeah, I get it because a lot of people have sent thoughts and prayers 
and done jack squat about anything. And, and so I understand, you know, I took the time to understand what my friend was saying there. Well, I do, you know, prayer is the most powerful thing, right? It centers us. It helps us be grounded. It helps us understand what God is doing in the world and to tap into our truest selves and be our best selves. Prayer, there's, I mean, being contemplative in times of crisis is the most important thing we can do to know ourselves to be, I mean, to be really centered. It's it's hard to do in times of crisis and, and prayer is that centering force. It does take us there. So I am not undermining that, that power. It's, 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 it is what drives me. It drives us in the world across, I mean, the whole world. And uh, it usually does require some action. So um, I feel a little uh, like I've dominated the question asking in this conversation, Paul, but you have not given me the stink eye. So, um, so <laughs> that's because I'm, I'm turned looking at yeah, the camera. Right. This way, so I can't really do that. Um, but, uh, but, but, uh, yeah, thank you for letting me like be the one to be like, oh, and my question and my question and my question, but I'm, I'm having my needs met here right now. So thank you, Sherry. This is how um, I, I nurture our marriage just like this. That's right. It's, there are lots of, lots of things that could be said about how this is nothing unusual for you. But, um, I do have like one, like kind of closing, like kind of putting a cap on all of this. So given everything we've just talked about. You know, you saw the images yesterday uh, on the news or on social media. Um, would love to get your your comments, your words. I'm not going to call it advice, but I'm just going to say, like, what would you want to share with the people banging on elected officials' doors? Number one. Number two, what would you want to say to elected officials coming out of that door being upset, putting hands on those who were banging on the door in the first place. Like, tell us, tell us what comes to mind for you. I, um, that's, that's pretty loaded, right? I know. I I, I, I almost feel like we need to say, now we're not talking about, even though we're talking about an exact thing, we're not just talking about yeah. those people. We're talking about something bigger and yeah, more. Yeah, what they represent, more, the, con- more the feelings or the conflict they represent. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, there's just so much emotion. You can feel the emotion, right? You can feel the emotion when the camera's running. You can feel the emotion. And an emotion is what makes us human. So emotion is emotion. It's going to drive us to act. Um, and I honestly, I can honestly say I, I, I feel like both sides um, you know, have a reason for why they, they, they didn't react it as they did. I do think, um, you know, I would encourage the folks that are, um, you know, trying to, uh, create a response from council members and from our leaders to, um, take a path that is more productive, um, I would encourage them to find a way to articulate what they're saying in a way that actually is just more productive than a confrontation. Although I understand why confrontations come. Uh, if you're feeling like your needs aren't being met and that you are being blocked from something that you want and all of those things. So I think that there are other ways to go about that. Um, and I would encourage that. And I would encourage the friends and family of, of, of folks that are struggling in that way to think of proactive and productive ways um, to engage, um, identifying what really is it that you need? How are you really feeling harmed? 
what do you really want to do to actually get this thing resolved? Which is different than um, I think that to get to a solution, it would require a different path. If that is the interest is to get to the solution, it would require a different path and a way to really um, create space for the discomfort that's coming from um, feeling blocked and not being able to do your business and not being able to, you know, function in this economy and in this space. Um, I think the best of us um, came out in the beginning when we were, when we are wearing masks and when we are carrying that it, we are taking care of each other and, and ourselves at the same time in our community. And for our elected officials and for our council members and for people that are bravely taking leadership, you know, I mean, Ashley, you know this better than anybody having been in those, in those shoes. I mean, representing a community and um, responding uh, those long days and, and fighting for a whole community too and, and responding to people's frustrations and, and experiencing frustrations too. I mean, I would just say to our elected officials and especially to uh, Miguel, you know, it, it is a, I mean, it, to be an elected official really um, requires, I think, and invites people being able to share what they have to share in a helpful way as well. And I think uh, anybody that goes into public office is going in to be clearly serving the community and they are tasked with that. And um, I would honestly say to both parties, you know, if you were both willing and all willing to sit down and really engage this conversation um, around a table, that might be something to consider. It's good stuff. That resolved, right? So there's still still work to do there. Well, Sherry, thank you for that, and and part of what I want to do in this podcast on an ongoing basis is challenge people to think even as they're looking at these events, um, what is what is in my heart? If I'm involved in it, or if I'm a bystander, what's happening in my heart? Am I rooting for my side to win and their side to lose? Um, then is that my best self? And can I step back and maybe think of a different way to look at this thing? And so thank you for giving us some expertise as as ways to start to delve through those things of our heart because ultimately what, what we're looking at is our heart condition and are we are we wanting the best for us all as a whole and that's where things can be really successful i just would like yeah and i want to i do, do honestly want to say to this this incident gives us a lot to work through in our community I mean, from police response to the role of law enforcement, to the role of our elected officials, to the role of the public, to all of these things, it gives us a lot to look at. To race and poverty. Right. Everything. Yeah. I mean, it gives us, it's, it's a, it's just a, it's a, it's a perfect, whatever, three or four minute window of, of our community and, and what's really going on. And there's lots to address in this. And I think the invitation that you two are giving to the community is like, how do we address even what's in that three minutes as it relates to our whole community. And those are really important, very important things to consider and, and address. So I don't, by any means, you know, I think it's, it's, it is, um, it's worthy and I appreciate you all taking the, the time and the attention to do it. And I don't want to come across as saying, Hey, you know, all things are, you know, springtime and flowers. Um, it's hard work. It's hard work to create a space for healing and for restoration and for um, you know things to be made as right as possible. It takes some real will 
to engage um, those spaces. And I appreciate you both for being willing to do that. Awesome. 